Hey listeners, Adam O'Donnell here. Today I interview the co-founder of Deal. They have raised over $600 million Y Combinator back company. My biggest takeaway, you gotta be willing to kill what's good to get to what's great. They had this office hour every two weeks, their group office hours, and we were always like, it's growing, but it's not what it needs to be, right? And so we kind of took that aggressive switch when we just said, all right, we need to build something. We need to go further into what we're building. And we were lucky enough that we just had to restructure the product. And I think we went in the span of a week from nothing to I think seven or eight customers and a couple hundred people getting paid on the platform. And that was the first initial like, hey, we've got something, right? There might be some potential in the future uh, form of product market fit here. We just need to figure out how to get there. There's so many times I listen to these and I'm like, this sounds way too easy. I was a founder, I pivoted, it didn't work out like that. Tell us more. The product that we built it, one of our friends from YC, used it in the way deal is today, right? Like kind of took that early concept we had, which was bridging payments and contracts in one place, which are two things that are usually dissociated, right? Like you want to pay someone in another country, you want to have a contract in place, you sign a contract with HelloSign and payments happen in another place. We kind of had like the first, I think, spark of deal was bridging those two things together and then eventually making the, the contracts and the compliance stronger and all of that. But that was like the, what when we saw that use case, like I think he was hiring someone in another country and you just like the idea of like being able to release money as it goes through that we're like oh okay there's really something there all it took was one customer using it in a different way to give them that aha moment that was where they got their conviction whenever one of us has conviction we just execute in that case that was actually me where i remember walking in a small two bedrooms where i think one of my teammates was even sleeping in the bathroom at the time because we like the the shower was pretty big so we had an air mattress there and we couldn't truly afford the rent in san francisco it was super expensive i remember walking into a nice place downstairs where we we're working from and just saying hey guys we you know we think we're going to change the product to that and everybody was like okay what do we need to do right and i think those are the people that really shape a company early as you can see they have an incredible story you got to listen to the rest. Boom. Hey, welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, former founder and VC. I now work at Zendesk for Startups, where we offer six months free use of Zendesk for qualified high growth companies. Alex, so great to have you on the show. Please give us an overview about Deal for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and love the, the work that you guys are doing at Zendesk. Um, <clears throat> so Deal... So I'm, I'm Alex, I'm the founder of Deal, um, originally from Paris uh, and kind of traveled all over the world, studied in a few different countries uh, and had the opportunity to work with amazing people from all over the world of my, all of my life, really. Um, so in 2019, after a couple positive and negative experiences, I realized that the whole experience of global hiring just wasn't there. You know, it's kind of something people we're doing but not properly and we wanted to basically build a solution uh, that enables companies to hire anyone anywhere um, so prior to deal you know you wanted to work with someone in another country you either had to pay them for like paypal and not really know what you're doing not understanding the local labor laws or anything on the other side as a 1099 or potentially like open the country and just hire a lot of people into one country and you know invest into one region or already going through third-party agencies that would take a significant percentage of the salary and you, you didn't even know what was happening on the back end of things. Uh, we basically wanted to build a simple solution for you to be able to hire someone in whatever way, shape, or form is convenient for your company, whether it's as a contractor, through one of our entities, we've got over 100 plus entities today, or even if you were to set up your own entities in a country, we can help you manage that. So end-to-end -end solution to do that. I guess um, for the background, we're about 
1,300 plus people today. We raised north of 600 plus million dollars. And we have over 10,000 customers from small companies. Maybe a couple that are probably going to listen to, to this podcast all the way to publicly traded companies and, and enterprises. Very cool. Well, congratulations on that. Was this the original product that you launched deal with? Uh, I think the essence of the product was similar. Um, for us, it was about enabling people to get paid in other countries. Um, and I guess, you know, eventually what happens is you realize there is just more to the problem that, you know, uh, you know, we quickly realized it was compliance and then we quickly realized there was more to it, different types of employment, different types of structures. And end to end, we just realized that the whole the whole HR suite of tools was not built for uh, global teams. Um, and it was always like, oh, we're very big in like the US and then we have ad hoc presence everywhere. And I think, you know, over the last two, three years, things have kind of shifted or at least uh, the cars were a bit redistributed. So the need for more global hiring, more global HR solutions that are, whether it's mindful or inclusive of, of generally everyone, uh, is, it's definitely a big need and that's what we're here to provide. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I'm sure COVID was a huge boost for you. And look, I think it it wasn't a boost in the way most people think at all. You know, mm-hmm. obviously it was a very tough time for a lot of people. And what we saw is uh, a lot of big companies were that were maybe not ready for a solution like ours were forced into using a solution like ours because suddenly, you know, their best engineer or their best, uh, I don't know, their best salesperson wanted to relocate to another country where they didn't have the right infrastructure and they couldn't, you know, actually lose that talent. So I think it accelerated for us just the access towards larger companies because of the need, right? Like that, um, you know, for early stage founders, that hair on fire problem, right? Like it doesn't really, I don't know if you know that story, but like it's a very interesting YC concept, which is if your hair is on fire, you're going to take whatever you can to just like, you know, re- like turn the fire down and, you know, it might be a break, but you'll still do it because there's fire on your head, right? So if people need your product that bad, that even early on, right, like one or two years into the product and, you know, as a founder yourself, right, you know that it's not like going to be the best product in the world. There's going to be a lot of like, in you know, behind the scenes, if people were that eager to use a product at that time, we knew there really was something and it was time for us to triple down. Oh, that's cool. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Well, tell us one of the early growth stories that right before one of the hockey stick moments that you saw. Uh, growth stories. I mean, we, we have many, you know, um, you know, I know Elizabeth loves when I talk about that one. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but you know, we pivoted to the to what deal is today, or at least the beginning of what deal is today, a week before demo day when we went through Y Combinator in 2019. Um, so that was really... I think at the time it was, you know, we were kind of building something that we thought was okay. We thought was good, uh, but, you know, it just, it was growing, but not the way you expected, right? It was just your average kind of growing product, kind of interested, like people kind of ha- had some interest into it. It wasn't exponential. And I remember going through why combinate office hours, right? Like it's this, I mean, you're based in SF, so I'm, I'm assuming, you know, what YC is, right? They had this office hour, every two weeks, their group office hours. And we were always like, it's growing, but it's not what it needs to be, right? And so we kind of took that aggressive switch when we just said, all right, we need to build something. We need to go further into what we're building. And we were lucky enough that we just had to restructure the product. And I think we went in the span of a week from nothing to, I think seven or eight customers and a couple hundred people getting paid on the platform. And that was the first initial like, hey, we've got something, right? There might be some 
potential in the future uh, form of product market fit here. We just need to figure out how to get there. That's interesting. I mean, can we zoom into that a little bit? So like you said, your essence is the same of what you started on, but then you have this big pivot a week before demo day. What made you feel like we have to make a change? Uh, The journey was we started with a payment infrastructure to help people around the world get paid by their customers. And, And the basic, the first hypothesis we worked on was the reason why people don't work together on that front, right? The reason why those transactions are hard is because you don't trust both parties. Uh, and that wasn't eventually true, right? Like I think most people getting paid on the other side of the world are just what we realize oftentimes like happy to have the opportunity to work with companies. So for two, three months, we kind of like played around different ideas in that space and like helping freelancers, contractors get paid and all of that. And then eventually what happened is the product that we built it, one of our friends from YC used it in the way deal is today, right? Like kind of took that early concept we had, which was, bridging payments and contracts in one place, which are two things that are usually dissociated, right? Like you want to pay someone in another country, you want to have a contract in place, you sign a contract with HelloSign and payments happen in another place. We kind of had like the first, I think, spark of deal was bridging those two things together and then eventually making the, the contracts and the compliance stronger and all of that. But that was like the, what when we saw that use case, like I think he was hiring someone in another country and he just liked the idea of like, being able to release money as it goes through that, we're like, oh, okay, there's really something there. Uh, and then, you know, being international founders, we quickly realized, well, you know, a US founder has no idea how to pay someone from Paris, right? Or from Israel, or, or you know, my co-founder was born and raised in China, right? So how to hire someone there, or even in that case, how to pay someone there. So it made so much sense that we just said, we know we've got it, let's hustle and get to it. That's amazing. It was that simple. Like it wasn't like you had a bunch of additional research. It was at the end of all the things that you had done leading up to that. A lot of uh, not research into that product, a lot of failed products, like from like debt collections for freelancers to um, focusing on. So I think one of the important moments for us was early on, we also focused on the wrong people. Um, For us, it's always like when you think about deal, if there's hundreds of millions of people hired for the platform, like you always have the end user as a customer. So we thought, hey, why don't we go after a lot of like those freelancers, contractors and get them to be hired for deal and bring that layer of security and trust. Uh, and then we realized pretty quickly that just that go to market was never going to work like B2C. That was, for example, like an experiment we had at the very beginning and, and switching to B2B was definitely like the right move for us. Like that kind of B2B2C where you're really focused on giving a great teammate experience, but you know the person you're selling to today is, is on the client side, which actually you know kind of made, to us is kind of obvious today. It really wasn't at that time. Um, so, you know, tons of uh, tons of uh, fun stuff to get there, and even when we got there, you know it's uh, it's when you're talking about payment infrastructure, paying people globally, entities set up in 100 plus countries, like you know for over a year we were, you know, we were nicely growing up to 20, 30% plus month on month, but like, you know, nothing crazy happened, right? Like we were just heads down building because if I'm going to school you on compliance, I need to have a, you know, it's not going to exactly take a day for us to figure it out. Interesting. So you're saying right after demo day, you went heads down instead of go to market. Uh, yeah, we went heads down. Always we've got a market. I think if you're not growing, you're dead, right? Like that's the basic concept of most, most startups, right? You're defined by your growth. So Although you should be building constant validation of your product value is super important. If not, you just don't know what you're building. You know, if you don't know if you're building the right things. So being super close, you know, that very cliche thing of being super close to your customers is not that cliche, right? Like what's important is like, can you build the right things for them to pay? If they're paying, they, love the, they like the product. Can you maintain their 
their appreciation for, for the product? Are you customer centric enough to ship the next thing that's going to make them pay more or make them retain more or help them into like the next journey of cycle of their company, right? Which is what we're doing for new launches and new products. And this is the only way to, to keep growing, right? So what I like to usually describe it as, actually, it was one of the things I pitched at our series A was, you know, we really got to a point where funders let sales which are always the most important thing, I think. But we were, we got to a point where it made sense to grow the team beyond just me and Shro selling. Uh, and that was one of the moments where we realized, okay, like we're getting to that tipping point where raising more capital and then doubling down on the sales team makes sense because if we can do it, if we build the best practices, professional salespeople can do it even better than us, right? But until we know how to do it, they probably can't. Yeah, it sounds like you took that same principle, like we need to understand this before we start hiring and scaling it. Um, oh, throughout. Yes. If yeah. you can't do it yourself, no one else can. Like, if you don't put your hands in it, hiring the best managers, in my experience, are the ones that will do the job until they truly understand and can scale their teams and can put their hands in in the mud. Right? You said you work at a company at a fund called Muddy Capital. I don't know if that. I did. Yeah, Muddy Capital. I worked there in 2020. Right. So, you know, if you can't put your hands in the mud, <laughs> then you probably are not the right person to lead that team. And that, that's, a, you know, maybe a more interesting thing as company scale, like being able to identify the people that are willing to roll up their sleeves um, and get the job done are the best people, right? Like what you want to avoid is those execs that are, you know, just giving orders and talking away. And those are the people you really want to avoid in a company for sure. I hear that loud and clear. So help me with the feeling amongst the co-founders before you made the pivot. Was it just kind of like, hey, like, you know, we're in a good track, like it's a little slower than we thought, like, or was it like, we have to make a change? Um, you know, one of the things we have at Deal, for better or for worse, is that concept of uh, deal speed. It's one of our company values where for us, it's about speed of execution. And one of the things that we do really well is whenever one of us has conviction, we just execute. And I think at that time, in that case, that was actually me where I remember walking in. And at the time we had two, three team members already global. Actually, most of them are still at the company today. I think all of them almost. <laughs> I walked in that small apartment we were crashing in SF, like a small two bedrooms where I think one of my teammates was even sleeping in the bathroom at the time because we like the, the shower was pretty big. So we had an air mattress there. And we couldn't truly afford the rent in San Francisco was super expensive. I remember walking into like the, the you know, in that building, they had a, a nice place downstairs where we we're working from and just said, hey guys, we, you know, we think we're going to change the product to that. And everybody was like, okay, what do we need to do? Right. And I think those are the people that really shape a company early, right? Like you can't really, time is money on that case and you probably don't have a lot of it. So you need to move really fast and you need to see what sticks. And if you don't have, people with the mindset they're able to follow you or follow your teammates or whoever into like whatever execution needs to happen, then, you know, you're going to be in trouble. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I remember this very clearly. I just walked in and say, guys, like this, I think we've got this, this is how we need to do it. And we just like worked away every day till like two, 3 AM to ship it. And yeah, that got us through the money. That is amazing. Exciting times. I love those stories. What was one of your first uh, go-to-market channels after the demo day? Um, it was mainly us going after companies. I remember Shuo emailing, you know, she's our CRO now. Very early on, we're like, okay, you know, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm a decent salesperson, but I'm very bad at like follow-up structure, 
Salesforce. Well, we didn't implement Salesforce for a long time, but like all of those things are just not my thing. While Shrew is much more like organized and squared on that front. So very, very early on, we're like, okay, you take go to market and I'll kind of focus on the rest of things. And, uh, you know, although at the very beginning, we're all involved in like the pure sales part and like making sure that deals close, making sure deals go through. That was always kind of Shrew's thing. And uh, early on, she was doing, uh, I mean, we kind of all were, but she was uh, aggressively doing a lot of SDR work. So emailing, I think, 100 plus people a day. I think my quota was 30 plus people a day. She was emailing 100 plus people a day. And the goal was, you know, growing 20, 30% month on month, which of course, you know, when you're making like $10,000 is not that much, but it's just like the, the ideology behind like you're still growing at that speed is what really one is one of the things we took from YC, right? That like growth bubble where you need to get to a point and ship there and be ready for a demo day with the most amazing numbers you can get to. And is the most amazing story you can get to. I think we kind of kept that mindset where we needed to grow, you know, as much as we could every month. And uh, so as, you know, just code outreach, obviously to some extent, Y Combinator is a great way to, tap into b2b right like all your batchmates and all the previous companies before are potential customers so you can't abuse it because you know it gets some people's nerve but you know people are willing to to help and try product because you know we were you were there before uh and then um just just sending you know we were kind of doing something where we had conviction we knew there was a need for it and it was about making people understand that the way they were doing it was just not correct and it was very obvious to us right like I knew that when you paid that person in France, you were not doing it right. And you had no idea what you were doing. Um, but it was very anchored in people's head that hey, they can just do a wire transfer, transfer wise, right? Like the, the, it wasn't really like, hey, the, the whole the whole relationship is poorly defined. Let us help you get there. Uh, but we were so, you know, we were so decisive on it that we were just, again, it's just about like putting it in front of the right people. And eventually when, you know, when you get enough momentum, then you build up this is how you should do it. Why, why didn't I do it that way before? Right. But it definitely takes time to get there. Absolutely. What was your mindset on, on the go-to-market outreach before the pivot? Was it that same kind of hundred people per day quota? Yes, but we were doing different things at the time. You know, we were trying to go, for example, when we're going to end users or contractors, freelancers, we were, you know, hanging around Reddit communities and others and trying to get as many people as we can. Actually, funny story. Um, when during YC, we had, I don't think I've ever told that story to anyone. Uh, I don't remember this. Uh, we were, it was kind of like a very nice growth hack. So at some point there was a Reddit post that was growing super quickly. Uh, it was a GitHub channel. It was a GitHub piece of code that would help you get paid if your client didn't pay you. So you build a website for your client. You can add that so that you have like a, a big red button that you can press whenever. And I remember seeing it grow on like, I don't remember which channel it was, like R coding probably. And when I saw it rise through the ranks, I just like DM the guy and said, I'll send you a hundred bucks if you put like next time use deal to make sure you get paid on time. Uh, and that happened and that post actually went I don't remember. You can probably find it. I'll, I'll find it for you. But it went crazy, right? Like super, a lot of people actually like started that 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 GitHub snippet. And we got a lot of like end users from that. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, maybe we got product market fit. And that, that was not it. But like, you know, it was like suddenly we had like 10 plus thousand people looking at what we were doing from that thing, right? So that's uh, that's kind of like the, tr the, 
the traps of uh, building uh, building a company is you think sometimes you've got something you don't have it. Uh, but yeah, that, that was for example an interesting way to go to market at the time, and we thought we were very successful. But you know that like everything that goes back down eventually. That's that's amazing. If you haven't nailed the core product market fit, then even if you hit a growth hack, which you did, it's gonna pay. Yeah, it was pure growth hacking at that time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. But I I love that creativity. The final question is, what is your superpower as a founder? Two things. I think I'm pretty decisive so i usually go heads first um and i think through things at a decent speed so i go heads first but i actually usually have thought through things before i do uh pretty fast so it makes just things move faster um and, and i'm i have a tendency to do things myself as well so like uh that the fact that i put my hands in first just shows the way to most people uh there is no there is no seniority. There is no title. It's like when we need to get something done, we kind of do it. Uh, and attached to that, I, I believe, but again, I think you should ask my teammate more than me. I'm pretty logical in my thinking. So most of the, most of the decision framework I have um, usually makes sense, uh, which makes people more comfortable, right? Like whether they're unhappy or happy about something, if the way you're going about the problem makes sense and, um, you know, you're, you're trying to do something that's pretty thought out. People are usually have a higher tendency to, to want to do this with you rather than do the, the nice corporate thing, like disagree and execute anyway. Mm, so not afraid to make the, the absolute decision, but you are thinking through it, but that thought process is, is really condensed and it's, and it has like a framework to it. I think, yeah, I think that's a decent, uh, that's a decent way to put it. Uh, I think, uh, my my head of comes would probably say more accountability as well. You know, we, we take everything to heart and that's something I think, you know, now we're 1,300 people. I hope everybody still has it, but I, I know that at our leadership level and our director level, everybody really takes things to heart and things like, you know, that, that, that idea of accountability matters to them specifically in the type of work we do, right? When you have the mm. responsibility of getting like hundreds of thousands if not millions of people paid on time with the right you know tax and payroll and infrastructure like you have to have that strong strong accountability and that strong customer empathy because if that was you you know you would want to be treated the right way and that has always mattered to us Hmm. this has been amazing thank you so much that's a wrap thanks for listening make sure to subscribe on apple spotify and google If you want to learn more about Zendesk for Startups and our free offer, please check out our website at zendesk.com slash startups.